Welcome to Startup to Scale, a podcast by Food Bevy. I'm your host, Jordan Buckner. Join me as I talk to aspiring entrepreneurs, seasoned industry experts, and everyone in between as we unlock the keys to growing from startup to scale. My guest today is David Delcourt, who is the founder of Grown As Foods and Sea Ranch Flavor Co. If you're on LinkedIn, you've likely seen David on your feed in his bright yellow jumpsuit talking about his plant-based mac and cheese. He's actually wearing it today, even though you can't see, but you can imagine just the sunshine shining through your headphones. David, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. I like that description, sunshine through the headphones. I'll, <laughs> I'll take that one. All right. I know it's always great. We can get to brighten everyone's day. So David, I'd love for you to actually give some kind context to the audience. Tell me a little bit about Grown As Food, Seed Ranch Flavor Co., and what the products are and what you're building. Yeah, we got started in 2017 at the farmer's market here in Boulder, Colorado with Seed Ranch Flavor Co. And from the beginning, we knew we wanted to be exactly that, a flavor company, not just hot sauce, not just condiments. We really thought about plant-based first and you know sophisticated flavors for everyday use. So 17, 18, 19, farmer's market heavy, bootstrapped, you know, events, you know, managing cash flow, and then the pandemic hit. So at that point, I had lots of different ideas. I posted on LinkedIn at one point, we were about to launch popcorn and the sauces. We basically decided to really focus back in on the core of the business, trying to not expand. During the pandemic, I'm at home with my boys half the time and we're eating tons of mac and cheese. And, you know, I've been plant-based for seven years. So there wasn't one out on the market that they would eat. There wasn't really one in the market I wanted to eat. And so together with them, and I think they were 6 and 10 at the time, 7-11, we developed one. And that was grown as foods. And it came from a core recipe we're already using for Seed Ranch Flavor Co. So the, the thin red line that continues to this day to you know bring the two brands together is flavor and that culinary inspiration in the CPG packaged food world. And that brings us kind of up to through the pandemic and into 2022, when we did go out and raise a little seed round and to, to really push out the grown as brand and get it out into retail. Fast forward to today. We're here in October. I can't believe it's fourth quarter already, but that's the short synopsis, brief history of Seed Ranch Flavor Co. and Grown As Foods. Yeah, I love that. And it sounds like a typical you know, founder journey of really honing in on what's working and doubling down as you are figuring out your customers and what you want to stand for as well. Take me back a little bit to the beginning because I know you weren't always in the food industry. What were you kind of doing before before you started these companies and why did you decide to start the CPG brand? So I like to say food was always a passion of mine. And prior to starting Seed Ranch Flavor Co., the kitchen was really my place of solace and of settling down and cooking and flavors were really where me and my family and historically my family growing up, like we would gather in the kitchen. And so it was always near and dear to my heart. And I've been a kind of hobbyist foodie chef for a very long time. I have been on entrepreneur now since I was 23 years old. So I was briefly in investment banking and briefly in consulting out of school and, and started a sustainability and carbon energy management uh, software called MakeMeSustainable.com. Ran that until 2011 when we sold it. Was with that company for about a year, year plus. Had to be there a year and then started a consumer electronics, uh, again, focused on clean energy and basically recovering energy, kinetic energy. And that was through 2016. We were cash flow positive, had a catastrophic 
failure on our production run that we were doing over in China. And that kind of was the first domino that got that when we shut it down, sold off some IP. And it was in that transition period that food, again, back to being that place of comfort, the hot sauces were born because I was working with my then co-founder to make hot sauces with peppers who was growing on his porch. And 2016, we made five gallons of each for friends and family for Christmas presents and holiday presents and things. And people absolutely loved them and wanted to know where they could buy them. And that was the aha moment, right? Uh, the first inclination, in fact, really, of, of what the customers were asking for and wanted. And then you did mention customers, the farmer's market. It was such a impressive place for us to learn what people resonated with, what they understood, what they didn't. What what does umami mean, right? That was the number one question we always got. So that was free and then, you know, into food. And the, the good news is that having been an entrepreneur, right, there's a lot of skill sets that you take throughout that founding journey. You know, you know it, and I've listened to your podcast in terms of your experience from T-Squares into Food Bevy. There's a lot, sure, there's differences, but there's similarities. Everything from understanding cogs and margins and scale and growth and fundraising and you know, on down to the the nitty-gritty of you know hiring and team and culture. So I actually had <laughs> I thought the margins would have to be higher for distributors because in the consumer electronics and, and bike world, which was the intersection where we were, everything was turnkey pricing. So we'd sell to a distributor for 10 bucks, they'd turn around, sell it to the retailer, you know, for let's say a 50% markup. Right. And then the retailer would want to turnkey it. So if the retailer ended up buying it for 15, they'd want to sell it for 30. Right. So I, I kind of put in a little bit more buffer than I needed to, which was a really just wonderful accident. Yeah, I mean, that's good because as you know, when you're selling food product, right? Like a lot of time your revenue is like a couple dollars per unit, maybe to once you actually get your wholesale price in. And it's really challenging because you realize like, wait, I can't just send sell one of these things. I have to sell thousands or tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands to actually make any real money. I remember that with T-squares, right? Like our our product costs were about 50 cent per bar. And we sold each one for about a dollar wholesale. And so you're really making only 50 cent for every bar that we sold. So I'm like, geez, right, I have right. to sell at least like 2 million of these just to make a million dollars, you know, gross without all the other expenses yeah, yeah. within there. It's like, oh, wow, like this is really, this is why you hear people say it's a volume game because it's like the quantity <laughs> that you need to sell is so high. Yeah, so the, the whole game of gross margin versus gross margin percentage, right? And the law of small numbers and a lot of large numbers such that, you know, we know how that goes, right? Yeah. So tell me then, as you've been growing the two businesses, what have you really found? Because now you're running two brands, essentially. How are your time kind of split between the two? And where are you focusing on one more than the other? Are you kind of growing both simultaneously. How are you managing that? So thankfully, Seed Ranch, in large part because we had to bootstrap it and really make it a cash flow positive business for five years. Seed Ranch was pretty steady state when Gronaz was was launched. And we did think about launching Gronaz under the Seed Ranch banner, but we wanted to have a brand that absolutely popped on shelf that felt like a bit of a pirate in the grocery store. You know, brands like Liquid Death and Bitch and Sauce were big, you know, ideas coming in and motivations for us where at the very least, you're going to grab it off the shelf because you want to know what it is. So we did think we need to make this a bit more of a splash. 
So Seed Ranch, you know, from a co-packing, production, distribution partners, you know, it's pretty steady and it's pretty organic, linear growth. It's a very difficult category, right? It takes a long time to go through a bottle of hot sauce. And that also, you know, is can be a pause in the sense that it's a little bit more reliable in terms of our forecasts. And it's easier for us the way we set up. We have a small co-packer and a large co-packer. We can incrementally work on inventory versus, okay, we're going to do 800 or 1600 gallons, you know, for, you know, a large order, let's say your hot ones, we were on hot ones in 2020, Justin Timberlake and Tim, you know, Will Ferrell and Halsey. And it was so much fun. And it helped our brand grow tremendously. But that was the first time where I was like, Oh, wow, we'd have to do a lot of 90 gallon batches yeah. to get to <laughs> the PO that they want, right? So a lot of my time is spent on the Gronaz side. And what we found is because Gronaz is that fun brand, clean label, all the things, you know, again, the same fundamental principles of, as Seed Ranch, but the brand pop means that a lot of grocery managers discover Seed Ranch because of Gronaz. And so when I'm working together you know, with my team or our brokers, here's, you know, often it'll be the category review, say for boxed meals, right? But that same grocery manager might be either them or somebody who sits right next to them, and, you know, on the team is going to be the condiments buyer, right? And so it's an opportunity to bring some awareness and some education. So they, they dovetail together. Is it hard running two brands? Yeah, but it's also a lot of fun. And we get to play with grown as foods in a way that we never did with Seed Ranch. And that's the, I like to say, you know, two to 3% of my time is probably spent on the things I'm really excited about doing. And yet those, you know, two to 3% of me in the kitchen coming up with a new recipe or, you know, doing events where I get to see people like eating the food and loving it and the eyes wide open moment of like, wow, this is vegan mac and cheese? It tastes so damn good. I'm like, all right, those energize me for the rest of the 97% where it's like, all right, I know I have to do it. So I'm going to do it. I'm going to do my best at it. But we need that balance of energy at the end of the day. One thing you mentioned a couple of times is having to bootstrap the company for the first five years. Did you happen upon just like doing so? Did you think that you're going to have to raise money from the beginning and couldn't? Or was it a kind of conscious effort to say, hey, we're just going to grow with our own cash flows to start? I did have experience raising angel dollars for my past companies. And so I knew that that would be an option and I wanted to make sure it could be an option. Very quickly in learning more about CPG specifically and our category and our velocities, I realized you know, there's not a whole lot of sauce companies out there that are financeable. Let's put it that way. From a venture standpoint, from a, you know, and so we really put the emphasis on steady growth, solid margins, omni-channel. You know, within the first year, I'd already decided I'm never going to do a fresh product. And I'm never going to do a frozen product, right? I, it has to ship ambient, no chocolate. I don't know if you had chocolate with T-squares, but you know, everyone I know who deals with chocolate, it's like, all right, well, six months of the year, it's a nightmare. So there was some of those pieces, right, that we recognized early on. We also, literally the first session of brainstorming, what were the mission, vision, values of our company? What were we standing for? You know, flavor and this idea that hot sauce is not where we stop was there. So there was going to be a flavor company that could be financed that would probably need to raise money based on the reality of this industry in order to grow you know, to seven figures and above. And that was the kind of future forecast. But the lessons of cash in, cash out and being able to do that are really powerful. You know, They make you look at things like COGS, especially when you're small and you're running, you know, whether you're co-pack, you're manufacturing yourself, my COGS will change every single month for the most part. 
part. You know, red onions might cost three times as much as they did the last time because there's a shortage of the harvest in India. And it's like, oh, wow, that has global ramifications on down to my little distributor here in Colorado, right? And so we're constantly looking at those pieces still. And even after we raised our seed round in May of 2022, yeah, it was, okay, there's going to be some cash outlay to make sure we can push grown-ass foods out there. But let's keep a hold of those cogs and the gross margin and make sure that we're not telling ourselves, oh, I'll just start with a 20% gross margin and scale that magical thing. Scale will just come in and go, you know, step one, step two, step 10. Right? I think I think we've it all heard never that. happens that way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah, the lessons have been, they've been good. They've been hard at times, you know, definitely, but it's been a fun journey. And I think all those lessons, I try and say, you know, fool me once, shame on you, fool me twice, shame on me. So I, I need to learn we need to learn every time we, we have those opportunities. Yeah, you know, it's a delicate balance because with the CPG industry, especially, right? Like if you can have a self-funded business, you can have obviously more control of the company, more control of the decisions and decide your own path as you want to grow. But it's also very expensive. And I can tell you, like, there's two types of founders that I've met. There's one type that comes in, they're like, I barely have a product and I'm like trying to raise money. Like we don't even have a product in the market is kind of pre-launch and I like want to raise a million dollars from VCs. And, you know, a couple of years ago, that was possible for a lot of them. And there are other founders who get into and they're like, okay, I want it. Like they don't even think about the VC world. If they do, they're like, that's not for me right now. And they'll start building their company and invariably at a certain point, get into an issue where they're running low on cash and to actually fund the business, they're kind of like, oh crap, like I need to bring in money to be able to grow to where I want to be. And some of those get to a point where they're actually like breaking and profitable. Other founders are at a point where they're losing money. And they're like, either I'm going to have to shut down the company or bring in money from the outside because it's taking a lot longer than, than I need. And so I think that's a really difficult position for founders to be in and frankly, end up on their back foot a little bit because they are often put in positions of making decisions for the business that are about trying to just stay in business versus building a thriving company and thriving product. And so I think it's a real challenge that founders go towards. And so, you know, my recommendation is always, if you can get to a point of break even sustainability on your own and it gives you more optionality. And uh, one thing that you're launching right now is an equity crowdfunding round to bring in more capital to kind of grow the business. Can you talk about why you decided to go the equity crowdfunding route and what that process has been like? Absolutely. And you're spot on in terms of founder personalities. And I, I know some seven, maybe eight figure businesses you know, that never raised a dime of capital and can make it work. I know some smaller businesses that founders as lifestyle founders live very happy lives, maybe working six to nine months of the year, doing lots of markets and events and things where they don't have terms, they don't have cash you know, bridge and things like that. So it, it is all possible. I think for the most part, the well-capitalized companies are the ones that are going to grow 
the strongest in CPG, and that's just a, a fact of the matter. But for us, in in looking at that seed round last year, where that took us, which and where we wanted to, and when we wanted to raise money, was both impacted by market conditions and inflationary pressures, and just the especially the angel world really hunkering down, right? And as markets got tough, but fundamentally, the equity crowdfund is scary in some ways as a founder because you've got to show everyone under the hood, right? And so you have to, but it's also exciting because for me, I think we have great fundamentals. I think we've grown in a diligent way without saying yes to everything, which I know we've all said yes to some things we wish we hadn't. But so under the hood, it looks like a really good foundation to continue growing. And the equity crowdfund from the community build standpoint also is really impressive to me because you're getting people who are actually invested in the company, in the vision, in the team, in the founder. And it's an opportunity to plumb that community for expertise, for feedback. It's a great way, I should say, to build a one plus one equals 11 kind of model with a group of investors rather than maybe one or two main investors who or a VC, you know, primary leading around where it's many fewer touch points. Yeah. You know, I've become a big fan of it and even seeing a lot of brands leverage it beyond just the initial equity crowdfunding round where you say, hey, if I have a successful round, it actually gives an opportunity for some like angel investors to put a little bit of money in maybe if they like want to put in $5,000 to start and see how things are going, but then give them the opportunity to then say, hey, let's put together a larger round in a year or two, sometimes even right after to say you've gotten some traction, you have community members involved, you know, we know that there's like a demand, not just for your products, but people who believe enough in your company to put money in. And then you can leverage that to get even larger funding rounds later. Yeah, that's a great point. And we're certainly looking at that saying, is this the last money we're going to raise? Maybe, maybe not, probably not, to be honest. But when I think about strategic plan, you know, three, six, nine, 12 months out, you know, two, three years out, there are opportunities that you cannot take advantage of without the proper financing. And that's just the harsh truth of it. And so the cash is definitely needed to continue growing. At the same time, you know, we're leveraging AI tools, we're using third-party resource, we're doing everything we can as a company to be as capital efficient as possible. Something that five years ago was really much more difficult to do. It was a very linear, okay, I need this human to do this. I need you know, this person to do this, this contract to do that. So in the same vein as the growth of AI, the growth of all these tools, even just CPG tools that we all use, you know, like the you know, startup CPG Slack community, right? Like that didn't exist when I was first getting started. That's where I point so many people these days. Like, oh, well, I'm looking for a co-packer who can deal with peanuts and chocolate. Like, well, go ask. Glass. So that's crowdfund. I think it's the right time for us. It's a, a great set of people out there investing in companies, you know, and as well as investing in founders and visions. And we're anticipating, you know, we're in the reservation mode now. We'll be live probably by the time this podcast goes live. And we're just excited about 
what we've already built and what we can continue to build you know, through this crowdfund process. Well, David, I think that we'll definitely post the link to the crowdfund in the show notes so everyone can check that out. But what I admire most is you've been able to, one, select a product that has very high awareness, right? Like box mac and cheese, have a strong differentiator of having it be a vegan product and also a really great, fun and nostalgic brand behind it. And I think those are the elements of really growing a successful company and building a successful business. So I am excited to follow along with your journey and to see this really take off and grow. No, thank you. Thank you. I, I appreciate that. Yeah. I mean, I like to say clean label, high protein, dairy free, it's vegan, but I promise you it won't taste like it's vegan. And all of our products, even though I've been plant-based for seven years, all of our products go to my kids who are not vegan, to plenty of omnivores, to people who you know probably would never buy a vegan product except for the fact that they tasted our mac cheese, right? I mean, that's literally the line that I heard. We put it in the campaign video, but a, a friend of mine said, historically, vegan products have under-delivered on flavor. <laughs> and I just laughed really hard because I was like, you know what? I've tried them all. And it's true. It's true. It's so yeah, thanks for inviting me on and being a part of this journey too. I mean, I think this is part of what you do for this community and what a lot of us, you know, on LinkedIn and other places are doing is trying to help other people, other founders, other CPG companies be successful is as much as some of us might be competitors, there's always a bigger fish out there, right? And so there's always opportunity for us to keep growing in the same marketplace. Completely agree. David, thanks so much for being on the show today and looking forward to following your journey. Awesome. Thanks so much, Jordan.